This week we are continuing through our series, Living the Gospel. As we've made our way through the Gospel of John, we've been hitting some of the highlights, some of the well-known elements of Jesus' ministry. We, uh, we spent time dwelling on when Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding, how he healed the invalid and spoke to the woman at the well. Last week we saw the feeding of the 5,000, a well-known story of Jesus. This week, our text is decidedly less well-known. It's not a place that we typically hang out. These are verses that we don't really talk about in Sunday school, but they are still good verses for us to work through. This week, we're in John chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 14 to 19. Jesus has secretly entered Jerusalem. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, so often referred to in the book of John as the Jews, with a capital J, have been on the lookout for him. They have been pursuing him and and trying to make his life miserable because they don't like his message. So he is snuck into Jerusalem, and that is where our text picks up this morning. Again, the text is John chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 14 to 19. So if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. If not, the words will be on the screens, and you are invited to follow along with me as I read the word of the Lord this morning. John chapter 7, verses 14 to 19. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keep the law? Why are you trying to kill me? Thus ends the reading this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, I don't spend a lot of time dwelling on the Hallmark Channel, but when it crosses my consciousness, I can't help but think you'd get tired of telling the same story over and over. That's what the Hallmark Channel gets to do, right? Now, I admit not every single one of their stories is the same, but we all have to recognize that many of them, many of them are. Girl grows up in a quaint, beautiful, charming Midwest town, but just isn't feeling fulfilled in life. She wants something more. She wants to make something of herself, so she heads off to the big city. There she finds some success. Things are going well for her, but she knows that there's something missing in her life. The job just isn't what she'd hoped it would be. Maybe she just hasn't found that man yet, that life partner she's looking for. There's just something missing. Now, side note, anyone else ever frustrated with how often the big city is like the bad place in these stories? Get your act together, Hallmark. Get some influence from like a horror flick or two and and recognize that those quaint little towns can be pretty messed up in their own rights. But anyways, that's that's a tangent. 
girl goes home for the holiday, often Christmas, and she is reimmersed once again in the small town life that she tried to leave behind. And at first, she's a bit rebellious towards it. She, but as she hangs out in town and begins to reminisce about what she left behind and the people that the town that, that made her, that, that helped her become who she is today. She remembers her past. She remembers the people that sent her. She remembers where she started and who she was. And she begins to find peace and fulfillment in that little Midwest town again. It often helps that the dude she left behind got super hunky, spent some time at the gym. Dude's eating right, right? He's out back chopping wood, getting cut showing off that jawline and apparently is somehow loaded. But the money hasn't changed him. Handy how those things work out for some people. But this is the general story. This is the general trend of a Hallmark movie. And while I have not finished very many of them personally, I have walked in on quite a few and in pretty short order can tell you exactly where in the plot they are and what is going to happen next. Hallmark doesn't make money on originality. Hallmark makes money because those are stories we like. Those are stories that we can relate to, or at least we want to relate to. In the girl who leaves her hometown, the place she has it so well, she just doesn't recognize it yet, we see ourselves. And as she gets caught up in life and the thrill of the things she thinks she's supposed to be chasing, she begins to lose herself. And we know what it's like to lose ourselves, don't we? After a long day at work, or maybe it's been a frustrating week, or maybe I just slept poorly and it's early in the morning, but my buttons are getting pushed by people I love and I'm seeing red. I care deeply about my family. I love my wife and my kids, and I don't want to hurt them, but the fuse wasn't as long as it should have been in the first place today, and the anger has boiled over, and they should have known better, and now I'm saying things that I wish I could take back. I lose myself to somebody else in my anger, and as the Hulk leaves, I'm left embarrassed and ashamed and grieving the verbal damage that I did to people I love very much. Maybe we have gotten so caught up in the office that we've lost ourselves in the job. There isn't time to spend with those that we love that are relying on us because we've got to reach that last deadline. Can't they see that I'm just trying to provide for them? Can't they see that I'm really doing this for them? And though that's what I may tell myself, the reality is that I'm the one that's gotten lost at work. I'm the one who's not at home. I'm the one who is lost in the expectations of myself and others and and neglecting those that God has given to me that I might love and support them and that they might love and support me. I don't know how you lose yourself. Maybe it's chemicals. Maybe it's running away. Maybe it's shutting down. Maybe it's binging all the shows. Maybe it's eating all the food. Maybe it's taking risks to try to feel alive. Maybe it's spending money regardless of if you have it or not. Maybe it's getting lost in video games. Maybe it's reading a book or 12. Maybe it's cheating on the test because you didn't study. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a mix and match of many things like it is for a lot of us. But what I do know is that each of us have times where we do things and we don't like why we are doing them. We all have times where we look in the mirror and think, what have I done? Who have I become? We all know what it's like to lose 
ourselves. How are you doing with that? How does it feel to sit in the knowledge that we don't do everything like we'd like to do? We don't always act in the ways we'd like to act, and we just don't have the control over ourselves that we wish that we had. Not good like that. doesn't feel good. So what a relief and what a balm our text is this morning to the frustrations and pain of our double-minded selves. As the curtain opens in our passage today, it's not a small Midwestern town that we find ourselves in, but the bustling crazy of the big city. Jerusalem is in the throes of a festival, and Jesus enters the temple courts and begins to teach. Now, scholars are trying to figure out really what's totally going on here because Jesus should be well known enough at this time that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those who are not his biggest fans, right? Like if there's wanted posters up around town, it's Jesus whose face is on those puppies as far as the church is concerned. So you'd think that they would have some idea of what he looked like and yet here he is teaching them and they sit there wondering to themselves, who is this guy? How did he get such knowledge? He doesn't look like one of us. He doesn't sound like one of us. Certainly doesn't dress like one of us. How did this uneducated dude get this much learning, this much wisdom without being taught? If we had had someone this brilliant in our classes, we'd know it. We we would know him. So who is he? To Jesus, they ask, where did you get this knowledge? Jesus responds, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Jesus isn't home anymore. He has been sent from his father, not because of bad behavior, but on a mission. And that mission has taken him to hard and difficult lands. He has had temptations come his way. He has had struggles heaped upon his head. He has faced hunger and thirst, things that are foreign to his heavenly home. Jesus has sweat under the sun and shivered in the cool of the night. He is God, living as a human, as a human, surrounded by the things that tempt us and break us, but where we, in the overwhelming hardships, temptations, and frustrations of the world, may forget who we are, where we may forget where we came from, where we may lose ourselves, Jesus never does. He knows exactly who sent him. And he has not forgotten the message, the mission that he has been given. Everything that Jesus taught, everything he said, everything he did was an expression of the Father's love and desire for us, the people that he created in his own image and that he will never give up on. And then Jesus, after establishing his confidence in the source of his message, knowledge, and wisdom, starts dropping truth bombs. The first bomb he dropped blew up right in my face. Jesus looks those religious leaders in the eyes and says, Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Following my first year at seminary, I attended the 2015 biannual youth convention, which is what will be, uh, obviously not the 2015 version, but the 2022 version uh, will be taking the youth to this summer. Now, I didn't have a youth group at the time. I was in seminary, but I was part of the team that organized it, so I was invited to go. 
And they have these stalls, these booths set up advertising the different ministries that our youth are encouraged to get involved in. One of them belonged to the CLBI, the Canadian Lutheran Bible Institute. This is a gap year Bible school that is loosely associated with our denomination, and it is located up in Camrose, Alberta, Canada. I'm friends with the guy who was manning the booth, and so I stopped by for a chat and noticed their banner. It read, Belong, Believe, Become. And I remember having a pretty strong reaction to the order of that wording. Shouldn't it be, Believe, Belong, Become, I asked my friend. And he told me about how they believe that you can belong, that they want you to belong in their groups and at their school, even before you confess faith. And I, I didn't get it. I deeply struggled with it, in fact. And I told him so. We parted ways on, on good terms, but my respect for his understanding of Scripture, and by extension, the school's teachings on it, took a pretty big hit in my eyes that day. Don't we have to believe before we can follow, was my thought. Should we be bringing people into our fellowship that don't believe and might do damage to the group because of their unbelief was my worry. I have since repented and sought forgiveness for these narrow-minded feelings and beliefs. I was wrong. One can and should absolutely be invited to belong even before they believe. We see it right here in the words of Jesus. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. We aren't always going to believe before we belong. Sometimes there will be those that are just going to go and hang out with people that are doing the God things and, and see where that takes them. And Jesus is saying that's totally cool. He's saying that's invited. He's saying that's natural. People want to find out if this whole Jesus thing is real. Great. Come along and hang with us. And as they spend time with people sitting under the teaching and direction of Scripture, they will begin to find out whether the teachings of Jesus are the ravings of some madman or whether they come from God himself. And this is good. It's really good. It should be an encouragement to the body. So often people are waiting for God to slap them upside the head with some miraculous sign that he's real and that he cares for them. And the church gets frustrated by that. When people are willing to just come in the doors and see what is going on and and feel things out, we think we shouldn't be bringing them into our friends groups and plugging them in as volunteers where appropriate. What was I thinking? I'm so embarrassed. What a fool I can be. How thankful I am for a God who is not foolish, but knows exactly what he is doing and how he is moving in the hearts of his people and in the lives of those he is calling to himself. There is a correlation we see in these verses in this statement of Jesus between following God and knowing the truth. We don't always get to know and then follow. Sometimes we must follow to know. And man, isn't that the truth? How often in our Christian walk do we have no idea where God is taking us? And we don't know until we follow. We aren't given the agenda for our walk with the Lord very often. Most of the time, we belong, and then we believe. That's stepping out in faith. 
That's what responding to the call of the Lord on our life is. And it's good, even though it's also hard. Jesus continues in our text this morning by talking about glory. He says that whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth, and there is nothing false about him. We like the idea of glory. We like the idea of having a gold medal put around our necks and people celebrating what we have done. We like the idea of following or people following our directions and praising us for our wisdom. We like the idea of being celebrated. We like the idea of receiving glory. But Jesus says that glory is not for us. We may seek after it. We may pursue it. But it does not belong to us. Jesus says that the truthful person, the person who gets it, the person who has not lost themselves but remembers who they are and who has sent them gives glory to the one to whom it is due. The truthful person gives glory to God. The glory that we seek for ourselves down here may appease us for a time, but all earthly glory fades. It's not lasting. None of us can live up to true glory. The hopes of humanity cannot rest on the shoulders of man, for men fail. We are not capable of obtaining true glory. We get old. Our bodies stop functioning like we'd like them to. We can't maintain as we'd hoped that we could. We've seen this clearly these past weeks at the Olympics. People favored to medal fall when we'd hoped that they'd stay up. Past gold medalists have gotten old and are no longer able to compete with those coming up behind them. Just as we fail to maintain glory in the physical, so we also fail to maintain glory in the moral. We know what we're supposed to do. We know the moral choice. We know what will benefit society and those around us. Has not Moses given you the law, Jesus asked the church leaders? We know. We know. But we do not do. Yet none of you keeps the law. And Jesus lands the haymaker. You want glory? You want to be powerful? You want accolades? Okay, be perfect. Keep the law. Do what you are supposed to do every time. Never fail, never fall, never be wrong. Always make the moral choice. Always put your neighbor above yourself. Always follow the laws of God, the laws that were given to us. Not that he might be tyrannical in his rule, but that we might live more fulfilled lives and that our world would be better for us and for our neighbors. But we can't even do that. We prefer to speak of our own glory, to pursue what makes us feel good. We prefer to continue breaking the law. No, we do not get glory, even though we may seek it. So who does? Who gets the glory? God does. He is the only one who is deserving of it. And he is the only one who has lived up to it. God gets the glory. And how does he look upon us who are undeserving of it? With love and grace and mercy. He looks on us from the heavenly realm and though we are broken, though we have desecrated and made a mockery of his laws, he gifts to us. He loves us still. Though we are completely and utterly undeserving, he has looked on us with grace and mercy. 
And in His abounding love for us, He has sent us Jesus. Jesus who lived life here in this broken, undeserving world. Jesus who was persecuted here. Who was disrespected and annoyed here. Who was overlooked and underappreciated here. Whose message brought glory to God and anger to men. And men in their anger blamed Him for their lack of glory. They blamed Him for their problems. They blamed the perfect one for their own pursuit of glory. And so in their anger, they had Him killed. They put Him through a rigged trial and they had Him condemned to death. It was not the death due to a man of His station. No, His death sentence was reserved for the worst of the worst. They had Him carry a wooden cross through the town and up a hill. People lined the road and mocked and spit on Him. He was beaten and ridiculed, but it was not just that cursed tree that he carried up that hill, for he had the sin of the world upon his shoulders. The sin of all those who could not attain his glory was put upon him. The Bible tells us that he became sin for us on the cross, and there, because of our sin, the perfect one, Jesus, was abandoned by God, and there on the cross he died. But he did not stay dead. For three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we rest in the faith that he has given us, the Bible tells us that we are clothed in him. Through faith, the rags of our sins have been taken from us, and we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is our hope. This is the promise of God. This is the message of Jesus to God be the glory. When we started this morning, I made the comment that I'd think you'd get tired of telling the same story over and over. I guess it depends on the story. May we never get tired of proclaiming the story of Jesus. The God who did not give up his divinity, but took on the frailty of humanity, not because they deserved it, but because he loved them so much. And this love drove him to pay their debt of sin, the debt that they had no hope of paying. The debt was paid in blood, and it was paid with his death. And though he died, he was still God. And so he rose again, conquering sin and death, that through belief in him, he might have a relationship with the people he loves so much. This is the story of Jesus. This is the story we must never tire of proclaiming. This is the story that brings glory to God, glory to the one who deserves it, glory to the only one who can maintain it. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where your walk with the Lord is. You may even be wondering yourself what your relationship is with God. Wherever you are in the walk of life, the walk of faith, know that God has not forgotten you. Like the character of a Hallmark movie, you may have forgotten where you are from, But God will never forget. Though you may have lost yourself in the myriad of traps that have been set for us in this broken world, God has not forgotten who you are. Even when you fall into traps, God still remembers you and is with you. This is the story of Jesus. The story of one who has entered the trap with us, but was not trapped with us. This is the story of the one who has set us free. So as you wander the walk of life, know that God loves you, that he cares for you, that there is nothing you can do to make him love you less, and there is nothing that you can do to make him love you more.
when you are broken down and feel defeated, when you have forgotten who you are, remember the story of Jesus. Living the gospel is resting in the story of Jesus, the message of God, the hope of the world. To God be the glory. What a fantastic, loving, gracious, and merciful God we serve. Amen.